0: When Fred Plotkin talks about being a pleasure activist, it's about switching on our senses instead of living on autopilot.
1: We eat, but we don't savor. We hear, but we don't listen. We see, but we don't absorb. We touch, but we don't feel. Coming up, Fred tells us why the area around Bologna in
0: northeast Italy is his favorite place to eat in the entire world, and what he learned from the way they cook and prepare a meal. Pork is like the music of Verdi. Nothing goes to waste. Further south, the island of Sicily rates as a favorite place for Italians to go for a culinary adventure.
2: So we are what we eat, and Sicilians, actually, they have the best of the best because they have the best of different worlds.
0: We'll also explore Aero Island in Denmark, where cute and cozy are a way of life. It's the landscape, it's the light, it's the buildings, it's the people. It's all just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Visit Europe in 2022. Rick Steves' Europe bus tours are designed to economically and efficiently share our love of Europe through my favorite places, people, and experiences. With small groups, strict health and safety protocols, great guides, and more than 40 itineraries, a Rick Steves' Europe tour just might be the perfect fit for your travel dreams. Learn more at ricksteves.com. Each region of Italy boasts colorful traditions and amazing foods. But for Italophile Fred Platkin, the area around the prosperous city of Bologna called Emilia-Romagna is a cut above them all. He'll explain in just a bit on today's Travel with Rick Steves. We'll also hear how the sunny island of Sicily is a favorite getaway for Italians from the mainland. But let's start today on an island in the cooler Baltic waters of Denmark. By the way, today's interviews were recorded before the pandemic began. As the maritime industry declined, so did Denmark's Arrow Island in the Baltic Sea. Today, the colorful, centuries-old buildings of aeroscoping are filled with busy shops, inns, and restaurants, and lots of happy visitors. Danish tour guide Nina Sefuzati joins us in our studio to talk about my favorite corner of Denmark. It's the island of Arrow, and we're going to talk about why that's worth the visit. Nina, thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you. hi. hi. <laughs> so, hi, hi. There's a, there's a lot of
0: uh, islands in Denmark, and mm-hmm. there's something special about Eero. What, Completely. Is it? what is it when you get to Eero? You just fall in love with it.
3: Yeah. Well, p- first of all, it's part of the southern, we call it the southern islands, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, because Germany is the, you it's, can't see it,
3: but the next piece just, of land is Germany. It's just a cross, right, isn't it? Yeah. And there there are several little islands down there, and I remember going there with my parents when I was young, and, yeah. on vacation. Eero just have something, it's the landscape, it's the light, it's the buildings, it's the people, obviously. And the history, too. And the history. It had yeah. money.
0: I suppose oh, part yeah. of it is it had money. Therefore, mm-hmm. it has a heritage and some beautiful vernacular architecture. Yeah, because
3: a city called Mastel, right, uh-huh. where they actually had big ships coming out and going all around the world and, you know, and that was
0: a, before um, steam powered exactly yeah, so these yeah, are yeah. the old clipper ships with the uh-huh. big masts and it has that sort of old seafaring elegance it completely yeah. in fact in, in my favorite museum is a, a ship in a bottle museum yes <laughs> Peter bottle Peter bottle Peter <laughs> <laughs> He spent Flat his life Peter. making yeah. these little delicate ships inside bottles. Vingers, yeah. Aero is spelled A-E-R-O, mm-hmm. and uh, the capital city is Aeroscoping. Aeroskoping, And you yeah. get there by ferry from Svendborg.
3: From Svendborg on the island of Fyn. So <laughs>
0: yeah, if I'm yeah. in Copenhagen, and I've got three or four days in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. and I want to get to the countryside, mm-hmm. how do I get down to Aero from Copenhagen?
3: Well, either you... You have you rent a car, right, mm-hmm. and you drive across the island where Copenhagen is situated. and you have a bridge crossing uh-huh. the Store Belt, the that's Grand right. Belt.
0: All the the major islands are tied together. with yep. the, Store Belt means the big belt. The big belt, and that Store Belt continues even to Sweden, connecting Copenhagen and.
3: So yeah, that's the other side of on the other side yeah, of yeah. Copenhagen. Yeah. So yeah. basically,
0: you get in mm-hmm. the car and you drive right down mm-hmm. to Svendborg, mm-hmm. and then exactly. you hop on an old little ferry. Yeah.
3: You m- you might have to make a reservation in the, in the high summer yeah. season, right? But so
0: and and the island is small. the The summit of the island is you hike up. It's only a few hundred yards. Oh, uh,
3: the the uh, the view, yes. And then you go Blank, to the yeah. south coast and yeah. you
0: get to that that Yeah, volderklimt, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you you feel you have a sense of the um, prehistoric history there. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, because you have, and and that's everywhere in Denmark, obviously, right? First of all, it's, it's a beautiful, you know, natural site. Yeah. And you go a little inland, and you have the, the ting, right, where the people, let's say the Vikings, were so gathering. A
0: ting would be a, a, a gathering of a people, gathering place. A, a tribal gathering with, right. with the chief of the the Vikings or whatever. Yeah. And what's very interesting to me is uh, Christianity came to Scandinavia around the year, about a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Before that, people were still having their, their pagan Nordic religions, and you have these tombs and these... Stone circles mm-hmm. and these um, kind of things, and is it just coincidence that the the churches are built on top of these pagan holy sites? It's
3: not a coincidence, is it? No, <laughs> no. as anywhere else in Europe, right? When when Christianity is is coming in, and they're yeah. they're just taking over the sacred sites. Right. So this was your sacred site, but you know what? Now it's our sacred no, it site.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because my favorite church, I think, mm-hmm. the one we're thinking about in the countryside, there, Fining,
3: maybe, it's got this um,
0: long uh, stone much older burial tomb, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, yeah. and that would have been a, a holy spot, and I can just, you get mm. romantic, you can imagine oh, people with their torches gathered around that.
2: Mm. It's
0: amazing. Nina Sefusadi was born in Copenhagen. She married a Franco-Italian, and now she guides tours from her home base in southern France. She's telling us about the joys of Arrow Island in her native Denmark right now on Travel with Rick Steves. So the, the, the trick for enjoying the island is to get on a bicycle. Get
3: on a bicycle. Actually, the buses are free. Oh, they're free. <laughs> Completely. I mean, you can if you don't want a bike, right? Oh yeah. Okay, but get a bike. That's my bike Really. Is, I mean, this is yeah. the thing to do on eru But if you don't feel like biking, you can walk, and and the bus transportation is free. It's not a huge island, right? right. Yeah. So, but there's
0: a there's a charm in the countryside. You find mm. these little farms, and, mm. and they've been the same in the same family for generations mm-hmm. and generations. Mm-hmm. They're they're shaped like a, a U. Mm-hmm. Why is that?
3: To protect, well, I treat it as to protect the, the animals and the people and the buildings themselves against the wind because it is quite a windy place, isn't it?
0: So, so you've got the, the U uh, uh, facing away from the wind, away so the from animals the and the children mm-hmm. and everybody can be Would sheltered. Be, yep. On one side, you've got the animals, the other side, you got the
3: people. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. We have an island that's pretty flat, right? So, so the wind obviously yeah. is, is, is,
0: will be present. And then biking around, you, you mm-hmm. come to uh, little stalls where they're selling things, honey and local mm-hmm. produce, and it's mm-hmm. on the honor system. Yeah, They just have a jar there. Take <laughs> yeah. what you want and pay, the, pay for it.
3: But we believe in that. So, right? We yeah. believe in the fact that you would be honest. You would leave the price that it says on the tag and that yeah. you don't want to steal the money or just go, yeah. go without putting any money in the jar. Does that, does that survive in, in, the, in the 2020s? It does. It yeah. does. I mean you would be if anybody saw you stealing something or stealing money from a jar it would be really I mean you would be a social outsider for the rest of your life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what scum of the oh,
3: earth. Completely stealing uh, strawberries you, how could you <laughs> and not pay five dollars for it, yeah. you know? My
0: favorite part of Aero, I gotta I gotta say it's the town, Aeroscoping. Yeah. It's just a fairy tale town. Beautiful mm. little B and Bs, wonderful restaurants. Mm charming little museums uh, the museums are just like somebody's house is just filled with some eccentric person's Completely. knickknacks you yeah, know yeah. it's it's a town that uh, you you just settle into aeroscoping and, and you're thankful to be there
3: complete you are in the moment right yeah, you
0: enjoy the moment. You enjoy the moment. And <laughs> sort of the people who live there, there's a little tiny beach with little huts mm. lined up and they're all pastel-colored. Mm. And they're just so big beautiful. enough for... It's like a, a picnic table with a couple of uh, a beds next mm-hmm. to it and, and that's not just suppo- the hut.
3: Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to live there, right? It, oh. It's just for the day or... Yeah. So it's very popular places to go. Right? I love to yeah. stroll out there yeah. during the sunset and yeah. the kids
0: are splashing in the water. Yeah. It's a delightful Danish moment. Hoogli. That little wonderful Danish word Hoogly. If anything was appropriate for hoogli, it is arrow. It is yes. uh, cute. Cute and cozy. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Nina Sefuzati. We're talking about Arrow in Denmark. Our phone number is 877 333 7425. And Stephen's calling in from Cudahy, Wisconsin. Stephen, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Hey, do you have, a, have you been to Arrow?
4: I have my wife and I. We spent four nights in aeroscoping in 2018. Um, I believe my wife took a picture of every door in town. <laughs> I yeah, love those then, doors. Oh, yeah. uh, they're they're incredibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, we they're, took the night watchman tour. Mm-hmm. We uh, took the free bus all over the island. We particularly loved the Brenega Church. Um, mm, yeah, with yes. its frescoes. Um, you know, we went to Flask Peter the Bottle. A bottle okay, the, um, you remember him. Yes. I mean, it's just so incredibly romantic because, yeah. I mean, we were there in June and all the flowers were in bloom and yeah. it was just spectacular. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey, Stephen, tell me about the Night Watchman's tour because I thought that was a wonderful new uh, thing to do after dinner or, or in the early evening there in, in aeroscoping.
4: It is. It's uh, an old local. Uh, he gives a tour and some nights it's in Danish. Uh, some nights in English, and we of course took the English tour, mm-hmm. and you know he told us things about uh, the town that you know only a local would know.
0: So it's an intimate chance to walk with a local, and it's a perfect yeah. thing for a town like that. It's just an hour, and you you make a friend, and and you you learn that the or oh, the red doors are made with uh, painted with ox blood or something <laughs> like that, and uh, why are the windows so small, and mm. all those intimate details. Stephen, did you enjoy any of the, um, the food in aeroscoping?
4: We did. We had uh, wonderful meals. We also, you know, we bought groceries in the local store, and we just sat on the beach. and mm. you know, Perfect. Or there's picnic tables in the town square, and we would just sit there and have a lunch, and we just had a wonderful time.
0: I think they know how to live well. Stephen, yeah. thanks for your call.
4: Thank you, Rick. Happy travels.
0: Thank you, sir. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Nina Sefusati. She's our Danish guide for the island of Aero, and Nina Aero has had a, a lot of energy lately, and mm-hmm. I'm talking um, solar power and wind power. Uh, tell us just about the initiative there. I think they were trying to be completely solar and wind powered.
3: It's it's like the rest of Denmark, by the way, eh? mm-hmm. that they are trying to get away from all <laughs> all the, the, the polluting. Fuels, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, when you bike along the beach on the east side of the of the island, for instance, just south of Aero there's this huge solar panel park, massive, you know. Massive, Incredible, park of yeah. solar panels. Yeah. And, and they're getting there. They're getting there. It's almost there. It's almost there. And it's not completely, it's not 100%. So there, almost but, completely solar yep,
0: and wind-powered. Yep, yep. And there's a, rene- a regeneration project that's bringing oh, yeah. a lot of new life to town. What, what is what is the regeneration project?
3: It's so interesting. Aeroscoping was kind of dying out, you know, like, like so many other cities. We talk about the Rotten Banana. <laughs> it's the outskirts of Denmark, yeah, now like, away from Everybody Copenhagen, is
0: sucking into the big city, yeah, right.
3: and and it's been abandoned, and there was no more shipping, and there was no more this right. and I wonder, and 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 the people in Eroskoping, when they figured out that the last bank was actually closing down, they couldn't even have a bank anymore. What they did was incredible because they all they all these volunteers got together. The retired electrician was doing stuff, and and they thought, no, let's get this going, let's get some life in the in the in the main square of Eroskoping. They have this incredible place that is a bar, restaurant, shop, a beer brewery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they have the most perfect beer that you can get there. So, there's
0: just a new energy and for small completely businesses. Completely new, yeah.
3: And they're doing whiskey. I mean, and all that again, brought more people, right? So mm-hmm. things are happening. So, so let's see what's happening down
0: regeneration, there. Regeneration, that's the yeah. name. And I understand yeah. there's a some special law that attracts a lot of people for their weddings. Yeah. What is well, that? What's going on there? Because there's a lot of, you see a lot of uh-huh. wedding parties there.
3: Well, you can you do that. You don't have to do that in Ery, right? It's just that Eru is such a romantic setting. Yeah, But it is easier to get married in Denmark if you're from two different nationalities. So if you have different nationalities, you don't have to, you know, Come with fifty different documents, and you know, going back and so you have you have three the, generations,
0: right? You have the kiss wedding, the kiss wedding. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. Keep it stupid. simple. Okay, Completely, that's yeah. right. Go to Denmark,
3: and then it being figured out because it's such a romantic setting. Why don't we have this whole wedding? You know enterprise, actually.
0: So this is part of regeneration? It's, it's part a, of the regeneration. So there's what, yep. h- hundreds of weddings? Hundreds
3: kind? of weddings. I yeah. can't remember how many nationalities, yeah. but it's really interesting. And, and what you a ask celebration anybody... Coming to uh. this remote
0: island in Denmark. So fascinating. Mm. Nina Sefusati, thank you so much for a look at Arrow Island. And, uh, so welcome. You know, because we're all going to go see Hans Christian Andersen and we're going to all go to Copenhagen. Mm, but,
3: but please come to Arrow. We we'll rounded out <laughs>
0: with a visit to the island of Arrow.
3: Yes. Tusen oh, yeah. tusen tak, Tusentak. Det var så litrig. Thank hi, you. hi hi.
0: Our next stops are in Italy. Fred Plotkin has been celebrating the magnificence of Italian food and culture all his adult life. He'll tell us which region above all others is the pinnacle of what makes Italy so special for him and a pair of Italian tour guides share a few reasons why they enjoy going to the island of Sicily as much as foreign visitors do. We're at 877-333-RICK at Travel with Rick Steves. Italy is so popular, and everybody seems to go to the same places. Venice, Florence, Rome, Tuscany, the Riviera, and so on. More and more important is the challenge to leave the crowds, and Emilia-Romagna might just do the trick. This is one of Italy's and Europe's wealthiest regions. Emilia-Romagna is a a part of Italy that includes two of Italy's great university cities, lots of Etruscan history, and some top-notch cultural and culinary pleasures. Italophile Fred Plotkin joins us now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us why Emilia-Romagna is one of his favorite places to visit, not only in Italy, but anywhere. Fred, buongiorno. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for asking me to talk about Emilia-Romagna It's the region I've spent the most time in in Italy. I went to college in Bologna. And when I came back to the States after living in Italy for many years, I wanted to write a book about it. This was about 1981. And I said, I want to write a book about Emilia Romagna. And the editor said, is that your girlfriend? (laughs) They did not even know that it was an Italian region. Things have changed radically in that thanks to you, thanks to food writers, thanks to me, People know that Italy has 20 regions. Yeah. This region is one of excellence in every single thing it touches, whether it's cinema, whether it's opera, Verdi was from there, Fellini was from there, Giorgio Armani is from there. It's of that level of quality, and most people will say to you that the best food in Italy is in their hometown plus Bologna. Mm. It's fabulous.
0: I just love talking with you because, uh, well, I love your book. You wrote Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, and much as I am passionate about learning about a culture through the history and the art, you are the man for learning about a culture through its cuisine. And, of course, that's a big part of, I would imagine, your attraction to Emilia-Romagna. We'll talk about food in a moment. First of all, you you call yourself a pleasure activist. What does that mean? And then does that have something to do with why you appreciate Emilia-Romagna
1: so much? they're definitely connected, and if I did not realize that in myself before, it certainly happened in Bologna when I was 20. Pleasure activism to me is about the fact that we've been given this fantastic gift of our five senses and most people barely use them. Hmm. We taste, we, we eat, but we don't savor. We hear, but we don't listen. We see, but we don't absorb. We touch, but we don't feel. My lightning bolt realization was, let's take advantage of these gifts. And in Bologna, in Emilia-Romagna in general, all the senses are activated. Activism for me comes from activation of the senses. And pleasure is a good thing. Hedonism we can talk about, but pleasure is a good thing and is one of God's gifts that we want to take advantage of and Bologna and Emilia-Romagna seem designed for that.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this region now, Emilia-Romagna. We know Venice, we know Tuscany and Florence. This is the area in between, right?
1: It is, and in fact, the rail line goes Florence-Bologna-Venice. But in the other direction, near Milan is the Via Emilia, which is a Roman road that went from basically the Po River all the way down to the Adriatic Sea, linking important cities such as Piacenza, Parma, Reggio Emilia, Modena, Bologna, and then out to the sea. Hmm. Rimini is on the sea. There are great towns, especially Ferrara, which I love, which is not on the Via Emilia. And throughout the region are small duchies. A town that I love, you may have been there, called Castel Arquato in the province of Piacenza. Hmm. You have these gems everywhere, these little towns that are rich in culture, rich in agriculture and food tradition, and the level of cooking in this region to me is unparalleled anywhere on earth, not Japan, not France. No gathering of places that I can name has better quality cooking day in and day out than Emilia-Romagna.
0: So you're talking about cooking. Is that different than the quality of the ingredients or the um, tradition of the cuisine, uh, or do you mean all of that?
1: Well, the quality of the ingredients is essential. Julia Child said that great cooking is 85% shopping. And to me, the greatest food markets I know anywhere in the world are in Bologna. It's not fancy. Mm -hmm. But for example, if I were to go to a market and say, I would like that tomato, in Bologna, they would not say, how many do you want? They would say, what are you using it for? And I would say, to make sauce. And they would say, no, you want this for salad. You want that tomato Hmm. sauce, you want that tomato to put up to age for the winter, whatever. Every single ingredient that they could point to. I didn't know that fennel could be male or female and how the flavor is different. How to select a fish, how to cut a fish, how cheese should be served. They are so passionate about every ingredient that they automatically assume you are too and they want you to know everything they know. So, my education really in cooking and knowledge of ingredients happened in Bologna.
0: Now, Fred, does that present you a little frustration when you want, when you, when you want to enjoy something that's uh, bolognese or parmigiano or something and you're not in Emilia-Romagna and you can't get the same quality of the ingredients that makes the magic?
1: Handmade pasta in Emilia-Romagna is one of the great gifts to our culture. And knowing how to do that is like learning to make strudel in Vienna. Once learned, you can never accept anything less. So therefore, Bologna and Emilia Romagna, for me, turn me into a home cook. Hmm. And I won't eat out Italian food terribly often. I eat out foods that I don't prepare. I don't know how to make Indian or Japanese food. So that I will dine out with, but I would rather cook Italian at home. And the great thing in Italy, all over, but certainly in Bologna and Emilia-Romagna, you take cooking classes. You learn how to make Svoglia. They're incredibly proud, and frankly, they want to maintain the tradition. And if Italian young men and women won't learn it, but if people from Asia, North and South America, and elsewhere in Europe are willing to learn it, better. That way we maintain the tradition. This is culture.
0: Maintaining the tradition. You know, in Italy, in small towns, I've seen there's that passion for this. I'll never forget going to, I forget the town, but I was in a little town and there was a festival where the older kids were teaching the younger kids how to make a good ravioli, and it was designed to pass the the passion and the and the expertise and the flair down to the next generation, so it stayed strong. That
1: might have been Recco in Liguria, where it was destroyed in World War II, and the only legacy they had was their food. Uh, and every child in Recco, where ravioli is from, are taught to make it so that they will teach the next generation. There
0: you go. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Fred Plotkin, and Fred's written this marvelous book. If for anybody that wants to appreciate Italian culture through the cuisine, it's called Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. Our phone number is eight seven seven three 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 seven four two five. Kate's on the phone from Austin in Texas. Kate, thanks for your call.
5: Hi. Thanks for uh, letting me call in. I'm a big fan of both of you. Um, I lived for a year in Bologna, and it completely altered my relationship with food. I felt like everything shifted in my eyes with food when I um, first got there, just in the way you eat food, the way you prepare food, the way that you will sit around the table and it's an event. I was lucky enough also to live with two Italians. The one was local. And I asked her sister for her recipe for ragu, and she looked at me and she said, we don't do recipes. What's What's the recipe? And she just sort of described her process, and that's still the, the same quote-unquote recipe I use today for my ragu, which takes several hours and is worth every minute of those hours. But I, oh. I also wanted to say that I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate Bologna as a spot on the tourist trail, and it's really a city of hidden beauty. From, so a, it's from not a sightseeing like a, point of
0: view. In other words, things to see rather than to eat. Right. Yeah.
5: One of the things I think is really remarkable, so, you know, Tuscany, Florence, and Venice, everybody knows, everybody goes, but if you walk under the Portici of Bologna, you'll see incredible, beautiful history that just sort of jumps out on you, like the Piazza Cavour, the gardens, the parks, Uh, Margarita is a really beautiful park, San Domenico is a beautiful church which has two tiny little Michelangelo sculptures in there, and people just don't go, they just don't think about it. And when Um, when you say Portici,
0: by the way, those Portici, if I'm correct, that's the famous arcaded walkways that Bologna is noted for. Is that right?
5: Yes. Yeah. There are about 40 kilometers of them in the city, and they are a lifesaver in the horrible winters and in the horrible summers. Spring and fall are the most beautiful times to go to Bologna. So even basing yourself in Bologna, it's an hour to Florence. It's two hours to Venice. It's Easy to get everywhere from there. The connections are, are mm-hmm. very, very easy.
0: You know, I think Florence and Venice are getting tougher and tougher just from a masses of tourism point of view. And you're just part yeah. of the you're part of the mob, whether you like it or not, in so many ways. But in Bologna, I would imagine it just feels more Italian.
5: It does. I feel like I was forced to learn how to live like an Italian because I was living in Bologna. Mm-hmm. My sister uh, studied in Florence for a semester, and she didn't come back with a word of Italian. Right. And then I spent a year in Bologna, I had to learn Italian, I had to right. negotiate in the market, in the food market. Um, it was a much more Italian experience. And I think getting an apartment, living there, shopping in the market, making some meals, it's really a remarkable city that I think falls off a lot of people's radars when they think, I'm going to go to Italy and I'm going to see all the spots. But it's just for the food alone. The year I lived in Italy, I had one bad meal and that was entirely my fault.
0: Ah, right. Thanks for cluing us in, along with uh, Fred yeah, about so Bologna. Much. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Martina's calling in from Atlanta. Hey, Martina.
6: Hey, Rick. Hey, Fred. I'm a huge fan, and thanks to your book, I made a food pilgrimage to Emilia-Romagna a few years ago. I thought I knew everything there was about it. My grandmother is Piemontese, And I know about that cuisine. But after reading your book, I I really, it was a food pilgrimage. I went to Modena. I wanted to see how balsamico vinegar happens. And, boy, it's nothing like what we have in the stores here in the U.S. And I also visited Bologna, and it is a beautiful city. And it is a city where I felt like I was living as a temporary local. I went to the Ugo Bassi market um, and just marveled at the quality of the food there. Talk and about that,
0: Martina, because I, I just think these markets in that part of Italy just are they're hard to appreciate unless you're actually there. What's what's an experience you remember from the market that really made it vivid?
6: Well, what I love about Italy in general, Italian is their pride in their work. Mm-hmm. And I had a lovely conversation with a man in a cheese shop. He had on a white fedora and the white apron. And, you know, I, I had a little Italian. I had to learn how to speak it because my cousins in Piemonte don't speak English. It's... Most of my Italian's gone now, but I was pretty good four years ago when I went there. And mm-hmm. they love that I tried to communicate, and, and they're so polite. Uh, in other countries, when I try to speak the language, they immediately go into English. In mm-hmm. Italy, they listen, <laughs> they start to reply in Italian until they see my eyes glaze over, and then they go into um, English. That's but, um, so great.
0: That's so fun to be in the market and connecting like that. Thanks, Martina, for your call.
6: Thank you so much. Bye-bye now.
0: Bye now. The author of Italy for the Gourmet Traveler and Opera 101, Fred Plotkin's telling us about his favorite region to eat in Italy right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Fred explains how portico doorways are a signature look in the city of Bologna. That's in an extra you can hear at ricksteves.com slash radio. Hey, Fred, you know, when you think of Bologna, a lot of Americans think of bologna about the cheapest meat you can get, But it's actually not a a low-end meat in Italy, is it? Tell us about uh, the equivalent.
1: Well, it's from Bologna. It's called mortadella. mortadella. And mortadella is a combination of pork, spices, pistachio, and little bits of the best fat you'd want to eat. It's very healthy fat. And it comes two ways, either in slices, these big round slices, or in chunks. It's really the only pork product I can think of, that can be served either way. Hmm. And mortadella can be chopped up and put into pasta fillings. It's a wonderful thing. But frankly, let's not forget prosciutto di parma Uh and the delicious salamis that come from that area. And then there's something magnificent called culatello, uh, which comes from the butt of the pig. And it's made only in a couple of towns. One of them is called zibello, it's on the Po River, and prosciutto is long, drying for 14 months of the leg of the pork. In contrast, culatello is aged in moist environments near the Po River and takes on a more tangy but absolutely delicious taste. <laughs> it's a slightly different part of the pig. And I could take you from town to town in Emilia-Romagna and you'll discover different pork products. They always said that pork is like the music of Verdi. Nothing goes to waste. (laughs) And I do want to commend, there are so many towns I could commend, but two more, Ravenna and Ferrara. People don't visit them that much. Ravenna was the capital of the Western Byzantine Empire. It has the most magnificent mosaics in Europe, and Dante is buried there. And Ferrara, to me... Is the great undiscovered town. Obviously, the food is magnificent. It was the home of the royal Este family, but also of the Borgia family, as in Lucretia Borgia. They built incredible buildings, palaces, and so on. It has the longest live Jewish community going back to the Middle Ages of anywhere in Italy. and. They have played a very important role throughout history, and unfortunately, many were killed during the Holocaust. But it was the Jews who, on a couple of occasions, paid off foreign occupiers to prevent them from destroying Ferrara. Ferrara has incredible pears. That's just, if you like pears, they're the Mm -hmm. best you'll ever taste. Hmm. Um, The palaces, the music festivals, it's a city of 130,000 people. After Bologna, it has the most important university. It's from 1391. It has a museum of the Italian resistance. It has so much. It's still a city where people go around on bicycles. And frankly, it gets very few visitors, and it's only about a half hour from Bologna.
0: Hmm. Ferrara, that's good to know. Yeah. Ravenna also has a lot of, uh, it's sort of a biking city. It just feels quiet and peaceful and it, it's got those sumptuous mosaics that go back 1,500 years. Uh, in uh, Ravenna, I'll never forget, you know, the Roman uh, portrayal of Jesus is without a beard and the medieval portrayal is is with a beard and there's that cusp in the 6th century or so and, and you see a church that has mosaics that have both the beardless and the bearded Jesus mm-hmm. that are the earliest chart you'll see in Europe, and it's just vivid like it was made yesterday in Ravenna. I guess that was the capital of the Byzantine... It was sort of a, a leading city in, in Byzantium, wasn't it?
1: It was indeed. It was the capital of the Western Byzantine
0: Empire. So there's a chance to, to get a, a real dose of the exquisite uh, civilizations of the East after Rome fell by going to Ravenna. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Fred Plotkin, and Fred's the author of Italy for the Gourmet Traveler. And uh, Fred, you know, We've been talking about Emilia-Romagna, the the region between Florence and Tuscany and Venice, and how underrated it is and how it's got all the great stuff of Italy just sparkling. Uh, You write that uh, something about Emilia-Romagna is is about the, the lusty pursuit of excellence in all things. It seems like that's true.
1: It is. Whatever you want to experience and learn about the best of Italy... You can do all of that in just that region. I'm not a driver, but people who like sports cars, they're made in Emilia-Romagna, the Ferraris, the Alfa Romeos, the best pasta, the best cooking, the greatest musicians. It's all there.
0: And so am I, as soon as I can manage that. Fred Plotkin, thanks so much, and uh, bon viaggi.
1: Thank you, Rick.
0: Italian tour guides tell us why they enjoy taking people to the island of Sicily so much. It's next on Travel with Rick Steves. If Italy is the boot, well, of course, Sicily is the football. The island of Sicily is layered with a history and a style that makes it one of the liveliest and tastiest corners of Italy. Our Italian guides, one from Rome and one from Naples, join us in the studio right now to tell us why Sicily is one of their favorite parts of Italy to explore, and to recommend a touring itinerary to help you capture the essence of what the island of organized chaos is all about. Susanna Perrucchini and Alfredo Vitali join us, and thank you both very much for being here.
2: You're very welcome.
0: Thank you, thank you. Alfredo, give us the big picture. What is unique about Sicily compared to the, the rest of Italy that you and Susanna live in?
7: Well, the uniqueness of the island is uh, for sure the uh, l- different layers of uh, Different cultures have been there and have been meeting on that place, which is relatively not so big, but it's amazing the quantity of different uh, civilization have been there trying to conquer. That nobody really managed to do it so till the end. And uh, this makes such a beautiful layers of cultures that live together and come up to life every day, just walking so it all around. It mixes together,
0: doesn't it? Yeah, basically, yeah. A lot of people like to say it's like a lasagna or a layer cake. Now, Susanna, when we think of uh, Sicily, just very quickly go through the civilizations that have left their imprint on sicily
2: well, let's say that uh, apart from the uh, the local people mm-hmm. that they, they were there, so the the island was divided into the three different the Sicans, the Sicilians, and the Aleians. Then we started to have a mix, a melting pot. A so real who mel- came
0: in? Because there's many invaders. Well, Phoenicians,
2: we had the Greeks, the, the Romans, the ancient Romans. Then we had... The uh, the Muslim domination that lasted more or less three centuries. On top of that, the Normans, the Spanish, uh, later on. Then we have to consider that Sicily was also very important when it came to the unification of Italy. So I'm jumping into well, that's the 18th. Right,
0: but you see Sicily in the middle of the Mediterranean. There, it's kind of logical. It would be yes. many civilizations but coming uh, in like the tide. Right?
2: Yes, exactly. Because being in the middle of the Mediterranean was really the place where people would gather. And it was had uh, a revenue that was uh, even much more than England on its own uh, during the, the so good days. So it was
0: days. a very uh, important place from a trade point of view. Absolutely. And Alfredo, even in ancient times, I, I understand some of the most important cities in the ancient world were in Sicily. Yeah, absolutely.
7: It's special, for example, for the Phoenician uh, civilization because the Phoenicians got there on the western part of the island, close to Trapani, on the island of Mozia. And Mozia is one of the few places where Phoenician remains are still visible. because so you know that the, the Romans Phoenicians? We hear that word a lot. But, well, they, uh, they came from Northern Africa, Northern African coast. It uh, used to be there. Carthage was the uh, uh, original uh, city on the is coast. Is this Carthage? Carthage, yes. yes. So the
0: Carthaginians came they over. Came
7: over and they that colonized the little, the little island in front of uh, of Trapani called Mozzie and from there the Western the, part. Because uh, that's the Western only part.
0: Carthaginian site I've ever seen in Europe I believe.
7: Well, yes. because that's actually one that is, that's remained because the Romans attacked the Northern part and they, they tilled the point that Carthaginians had to be destroyed.
0: Now, both of you look at Sicily from Naples and from Rome. What do you think of the the island today? The people, the temperament, the cuisine, what does it look like from Naples uh, and from Rome, Susanna?
2: Well, you know, to me, Sicily is so different from Rome, even though Rome is some, some sort of invisible borderline between the north and the south, because from Rome going all the way down, everything intensifies. The chaos, the disorganization, I have the, to the say. chaos. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so anyway. Well, this is
0: funny because Italians often say the word chaos like cows. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I always <laughs> think C-O-W-S, so yeah. the, the cows intensify. And that's why we yeah, got it, the wonderful mozzarella. <laughs> uh,
2: exactly. So for me, uh, Sicily is uh, intensified uh, emotions, uh, there are certain things that you can only see in Sicily. And you know, now it comes to my mind uh, that among the many uh, mosaics, Roman mosaics that I've seen in my life, the best so far have been the ones uh, in Piazza Armerina. Because they this, have this is a,
0: a Casale? What is that? Uh,
2: Villa del Casale.
0: The, it's the Roman mosaics in the middle of Sicily. It's an exactly. incredible thing. Yeah.
2: It is incredible, especially for the colors, the preservation. So what I'm trying to say is that Sicily has the power to attract people because of the diversity, Because of the history, of course, but the history is the base that created uh, also the incredible cuisine. So we are what we eat. And Sicilians, actually, they have the best of the best because they have the best of different worlds. So they have uh, Arabic influences. They have uh, the best pastries, uh, I have to say, in Italy. So I don't want to go deeper into food because probably you have other questions. But to me, Sicily is the quintessential, is the very best and the very worst at the same time can be.
0: Okay, so, Alfredo, let's talk about that from your perspective. Uh Napoli, Naples. Yeah. Uh, to me, my- Naples is pretty cows. I mean, it chaos. Is. But uh, you look further south and it, <laughs> it makes it, Naples look kind of stable. <laughs> well,
7: it is de- definitely chaotic, my city. But in a way, I really feel very close to Palermo, for example. And you have to consider that Palermo and Napoli, they've been together in one of the biggest kingdoms. That were in uh, Italy before unification. Was that the, the kingdom, kingdom of the two Sicilies? Which and to
0: this day, you have a good boat connection from we Naples to We do have a Palermo. boat
7: connection that uh, that goes every night, and it's really nice for I've people t- that t- need t- t- to that commute. Sometimes a way to it get is down it's Palermo, very, very yeah. nice. So we are close in many ways, but also I have to say that Sicily is even more has even more layers than Napoli has. I mean, I come from a city that has a lot of layers. I mean, Napoli was founded by the Greeks and then the Romans, and then we had all the, the medieval time and so on. But in Sicily, you can find also the Phoenician influence we don't have, for example. And you find also, as we said, other parts of the Arabic influence never arrived really in Napoli, for example. What about the
0: organized crime and the corruption that is a stereotype of Sicily? Is that yesterday or is it still, um, does it deserve that reputation of corruption? I will say
7: that uh, there is for sure still a big influence on the island. What is different now is that that people have actually reconned this problem and they try to fight it in everyday life and they uh, also try to get out of this, you know, parallel system to the state and in What is this, this parallel system?
0: Are we talking organized like crime? L- organized crime, yeah. Know, what we so call before there was, there, there, there was two, two governments, have, uh, really. Yeah, there was a uh, government you pay taxes yeah. to and there's the government that takes, uh, you know, security money from you and so on. Yeah. Yeah, in exchange of protection. And right. uh, this started with the So that the shepherd, has changed now. The, I understand the, the that, crime, changed, that the organized crime... That has
7: changed. There have been actually turning points on this. And one big one was 1992 when the two judges were killed and also the priest, the famous priest in Sicily, was killed the same year. And this was the moment where people got to the point to say enough. So when and the public this, abandons organized crime, because before it had a little bit of the
0: Robin Hood aspect where...
2: In a way, the Robin
7: Hood aspect, but maybe this was only at the beginning, and then it became more kind of an habit, a bad huh. habit, a bad habit. You know, bad habits, when
0: they get in, it's difficult to kick them out. But those atrocities, when respected public servants were murdered, the people said, enough. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Susanna Perrucchini and Alfredo Vitali. We're talking about Sicily from an Italian perspective. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Jean from Damaris Gata in Maine is on the line. Jean, thanks for your call.
8: Thanks. Nice talking to you, Rick. I just returned from Italy. I was there. I was in Italy itself for nine weeks, and then I was three weeks in Sicily.
0: Wow, three weeks in Sicily. What, what was your impression?
8: I absolutely loved it. I travel a lot, and over the years, I've heard the good, the bad, and the ugly about Sicily, and I decided to go see it for myself. And I'm so glad I did because I was totally enthralled with it. I think it's a beautiful place. And um, I was in termina alone for the first week. And then friends arrived and we rented a van and we had your book. And so we did everything you told us to do.
0: So that would be, you'd, you would probably do Palermo, uh, you might do Monreal, the beautiful church outside of Palermo, Agrigento with the temples, uh, the Roman we mosaics did. at Villa Romana de Casale, and um, maybe Syracuse, and of course Mount Etna. We did
8: Syracusa, and then we did go to the towns you mentioned. We also went to Cefalu. Is that how you say it? Cefalu? Cefalu.
0: Oh, I love Cefalu. What did you think about Cefalu?
8: I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. It was fascinating. And one place that, we didn't see in your book that we went to was Ariche. Yeah.
0: It's the stoniest place I've ever been. It's, it's like a oh, dream. It. It's like we, a dream where the whole world is little pebbles all glued together.
8: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the weather was absolutely beautiful. And truly, it was the best food I had in Italy.
0: You know, that the food is amazing. People, I, Life is a I celebration agree. of food there. Alfredo, exactly. when you take groups and, around, Alfredo, how do you turn them on with the food?
7: Well, the best experience, in, for example, when you are in Palermo or in Catania also is to go to the markets. That's really amazing. I mean, you know, the, the colors, the, the flowers and the scents and whatever you can, Just the feeling of walking around and interacting with people, tasting everything. Bolito, exactly. Bolito. Bolito. I, you you know, I'm just and hearing so, a man <laughs> in my,
0: He's selling boiled bits of the cow. Bolito. Yeah. You have a piece of the ear and you can do it. And
8: the, one of our favorite places was the fish market in Catania. Catania. Oh, oh
0: Catania's yeah. fish market yeah. is a it's it's photographer. Oh, delight! Oh.
8: Excellent. And we had dinner in one of the restaurants in the fish market the yeah. end of that night, and it was like the fish jumped right out of the water onto your plate. Oh, I, I mean, love it. was it.
2: So fresh! It was absolutely marvelous.
0: And Susanna, when you're with a group taking them around Sicily, how do you impress them with the food?
2: Well, you know, I have to be honest, uh, you don't have to do much to impress people. You just have to take them, you know, to the markets, uh, have a taste of whatever they they want to taste. It is true that for Americans at the beginning can be tough to understand that. Uh, especially of animals, we eat everything. So it can be uh, liver, can be the brain. But once they try, if they're daring or they're courageous to try, <laughs> uh, they, they they love it.
0: The man singing bolito, I think that means boiled, like yeah. bo- boiled bits of cow. He yes. gave me a slice of the nose. Yeah. it was actually very nice.
2: Yes, I di-
8: I didn't have any of the bolito or yeah, the cow go or back. anything. I had mostly fish.
0: What about what about what the uh, what about the sweets, Jean? How about the cannoli?
8: Oh. And I'm not a big fan of cannolis, not in this country, in America at any rate, but the cannolis over there, I mean, mm. they are so fresh. I was going to say they don't the don't put same the cream thing. in to the last minute, which makes a big
0: difference. Perfect. I, I stay away from cannoli when it's not worth the calories. But in Sicily, I don't care what your diet it's is. It's worth
8: it. <laughs> but you
0: want it fresh, <laughs> and you want it. that ricotta put in it fresh yes. right before yes. your very exactly. eyes. Yeah,
2: it must be Egg. crunchy the outside.
0: Oh. Jean, thank you so much for taking us on a little uh, review of your beautiful trip in Sicily.
2: My pleasure. Take care. Thank happy you. travels.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been celebrating Italy. It sounded like Jean was sent to us by the Sicily tourist board there. She had such a good trip, and that's not unusual. If you go down to Sicily, you're going to have some heat, you're going to have a little bit of chaos, you're going to have a very friendly welcome, great food, and no real crowds. No. I, I don't have many trouble with the crowds. In Sicily, you have huge trouble with the crowds in Venice, Florence, and Rome. Uh, Sicily is about half the price and about a quarter of the crowds.
2: Yes, it is absolutely true. In fact, Catania and Palermo can be uh, the two big cities, and they are, but you never feel, or at least I never felt, that it was as overwhelming as Rome and Florence and Venice can be, especially in high season. So there's always a space to be. There is always a moment you can sit down and have a coffee, watch for people. And I believe that this is one of the many beauties that Sicily can offer to people that they are, travelers, but they don't want to be too stressed, because crowds can uh, tire people.
0: I had images from my earlier days of traveling of, of Palermo being not very comfortable, especially after dark. It was just run down, and it had this reputation of, you know, organized crime. I've been there quite a bit the last few years, and you go to those markets, and they're a festival of life, and then, after dinner, you walk back to the same market, and it's a whole different personality. It's the the young people out, yes. the wonderful yeah. bars, the beautiful, trendy little corners, and Absolutely. under the stars. It's some sort of a traveler's dream come true. But you've got to get out of the hotel, you've got to walk. You've
7: yeah, got to actually, actually in the hotel. Palermo specialists. So, for example, the botanical garden in Palermo is another amazing place where to go, easy to reach, even just walking distance from the center. And the center used to be
0: covered in soot and pollution. I remember the Quattro Corners,
2: what's that? The
7: Quattro Canti, the four mm-hmm.
0: corners. It used to be just caked in black. And no, now it's, it's peeled
7: free, and you see the it's beautiful... Been cleaned up, and also they've uh, they done also uh, pedestrian Pedestrian only, so, so they stop the traffic. That's stop the traffic. It's much easier to walk around. Makes it nicer in the evening, as you said. You, you can feel very, very comfortable to walk around. Well, Please. you know,
2: to me, Palermo, in the last few years that I've been going there with the tours... I can see that there is a little, it's a little revolution. It's not a big one, as in Italy, we don't have a big revolution. So everything must be a little bit softer. But little by little, I can see that new uh, little places are open. Uh, younger people are around oh, yeah. as you said a square can be a market during the day and then it becomes like a, a lounge a nice lounge a, that's
0: a good word for it a lounge and the children are out it's cool everybody's yes. relaxed
2: i've seen like a little renaissance in uh, palermo palermo still has let's face it uh, like dark alleyways that mm-hmm. they're not necessarily no. dangerous they're stinky and and dirty but uh, the it's it,
0: the same way with the old part of syracuse what, what yes, is it ortigia. Ortigia. ortigia ortigia absolutely Ortigia used to be a no go zone I you, you Absolutely. would not cross that bridge to that little island. Only twenty years ago, even the police didn't want to go there. Mm. It was ruled by the underbelly of society.
2: Yes, and, and now is
7: now now is one of the best areas to be in in Sicily, and everybody wants to be there. It's very international. It's open. It's pedestrian. It's nice. New businesses, cafes, restaurants.
2: Porteja,
0: the old center of yeah. Syracuse, and I love you know I love the passeggiata in Italy, and when you like the passeggiata. Go to Sicily.
2: Yeah, and, it's all you need. All. Just a walk around.
0: We're looking at Sicily as one of the favorite getaway destinations for many of our listeners on Travel with Rick Steves and for Italians as well. Our guests are tour guides Alfredo Vitali, who lives in the countryside near Naples, and Susanna Perrucchini, who's based in Rome. Our guides explain how Sicily has a special relationship with the rest of Italy in an extra to today's interview. You can hear it on our website at ricksteves.com radio. And just a reminder, our conversation was recorded before the outbreak of the global pandemic. Our phone number is 877-333-7425 and Courtney's on the phone in Portland, Oregon. Courtney, thanks for calling.
6: Thank you for taking my call.
0: Yeah, what was your experience in Sicily?
6: Well, I haven't been to Sicily. My my husband and I um, love food and we love ancient history and we are trying to plan a two-week trip there someday, like to rent a car and drive around. And this conversation made me both a little nervous and reassured me because we spent a day at Napoli, like, maybe six years ago, and it was wild. We found it very crazy, and so just to hear a Sicily described as sort of Napoli on steroids
5: <laughs> makes me a little bit nervous.
0: <laughs> well, I wouldn't I wouldn't drive in Naples. I can't think of a worse place to drive anywhere as in Naples, so you don't want to have a car. Uh, in the big cities of Sicily, but a car is wonderful in the countryside of Sicily. You'd be very. In fact, Sicily is overbuilt from a traffic infrastructure. They've got bigger roads than they have enough traffic to use them. I think. Uh, what would you say, Susanna?
2: Well, I would say that definitely the big cities, uh, Palermo, and Catania. I would ideally park the car and then start walking because it's uh, very manageable. Palermo is bigger as a capital, but still, whatever you want to see, it's. Uh, more or less in the radius of uh, the center.
0: You know, what you could do is you could fly into one of the big cities, Syracuse or Palermo, because you don't really need to see Palermo and Syracuse. You can do one or the other and then pick up your car on the way out. And then for one week with your car, you can visit all of the countryside sites. And when you visit those famous sites in the countryside, your car is a blessing. When you have a car in Palermo or, or Syracuse, it's a curse.
6: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Right.
6: When would you um, recommend we go? Because I've seen like it could be green at a certain season, but we don't want to go when it's really hot. Is there a particularly good time to go?
7: I will say that uh, springtime, late springtime, so I will say like April, May, it will be like best time. And also again, end of September, October, beautiful months. Uh, especially if you plan to travel by car and drive around, those are the best months. It's mm. not too hot. There is not too many people around and you can really enjoy. Uh, the structure of the, of the island, which is made, actually, to be discovered. You have to stop in the little places, you have to, you know, to go around, you have to go and get on both sides of the island, the mm-hmm. eastern and the western, go to Trapani. Trapani is such a special place, and not everybody talks about that. And the islands which are in front of Trapani, the Egadi the Islands, they are mm-hmm. amazing, and uh,
0: Favignana is one of the most wonderful places I've ever been. Courtney, I would say the most important thing is if you can avoid July and August, it's a good idea because it's very hot. It's brutally hot. All right, Courtney, thanks for your call and and best wishes in your travels in the future. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about Sicily with Susanna Perrochini and Alfredo Vitale. Thank you so much for joining us and it's great to know that you can see Italy and then you can get more of Italy with a little extra twist when you head south.
2: Yes, thank you. Arrivederci.
0: Ciao. Thank you very much. Ciao, A presto. Ciao. Ciao.
7: Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton, Kaz Hall and Donna Bardsley. Andrew Wakeling manages our website. Radio affiliate relations are by Sheila Gurzoff. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank.
0: Thanks to the Radio Foundation in New York City for their help this week. We'll look for you again next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. Hey, I'm Rick Steves. In my latest book, For the Love of Europe, I share highlights of a lifetime of exploring Europe, my favorite experiences, sights, and encounters in a 100 essays. Order your copy today at ricksteves.com.